0: Hi, welcome to Let's Go Kick Ass Today. I'm your host, Vicki Carter. This is a monthly podcast where I chat to inspirational people from the fields of music, adventure, and culture. People who basically are really kicking ass and making their own rules in life. So if you wanna feel empowered and inspired, you've come to the right place. I believe that life is short We really need to live life to the full and I aim to live my life through my bucket list, ticking off crazy things along the way that keep me on my toes and challenging me to be a better person and to be a little adventurous, you know, live a bit on the wild side. I've swam with sharks, I've bungee jumped, I've skydived and there's so many more things on my list that I'm hoping to achieve. My mum inspired me to live in this way because she had a stroke when I was four and it's really highlighted to me that anything can happen. So you just got to make the most of now. So without further ado, let's get started. This month, I chat to the legendary rock artist Susie Quattro about breaking
1: stereotypes and her own life advice. I would say always take yourself seriously, because if you take yourself seriously, other people will. And if you're going to play an instrument, don't pretend to play it. Play it.
0: Susan Ronaldson from Status Row, just an ordinary woman doing
2: something extraordinary. Life for me is not about measured in days, it's what you do with it and, and the experience of it and to not have done this amazing thing would have been a bigger risk of you know happiness and fulfillment in life. And I talk sex with Project Pleasure and why we need to talk about it.
3: I feel like one thing I've really gained from the podcast is is realising that penetrative sex isn't sex it's a part of it
0: first up i managed to grab a quick chat with iconic rock vocalist suzy quattro about her career that stemmed over decades and her fantastic new album no control so i'm here with the global rock legend singer songwriter musician record producer um, actress poet author radio presenter mum is there anything you can't do
1: (laughs) (laughs) i can't keep quiet for long
0: (laughs) (laughs) wow that's fantastic so what really inspired you to become a musician
1: well i come from a musical family Uh, my father was a musician his entire life he didn't stop till he was 89. um five kids we all play many instruments we always did family shows. I went to see my dad's gigs. Um, I've been entertaining really since I've been about seven years old. Wow. Um, and then it, and I played drums and piano, classical piano. And then at 14, we started a band and um, I was given the bass guitar to play. Oh, and wow. that was a epiphany for me because it put it on and I went, yes, this is who I am.
0: Oh, that's incredible. And what was it like being the first woman to
1: really conquer the rock world? I can't say that was my motivation. 'Cause I don't really do gender. Um, I was just being me. I never called myself a female musician. I called myself a musician. And it was only till I started having hits and the interviewers were coming in saying, Oh, you're the first woman I've done, oh, I guess I am. I didn't have a role model. Yeah. Um, I'm proud that I did that. It wasn't my motivation, but thank God I did, because it was a door that needed to be open.
0: And you've rocked it in nether. I mean, you always look cool. What's your secret? Have you always been this cool or just naturally?
1: I've always been a bit of a tomboy. I'm not a real makeup person. I wear it when I have to. But um, I don't know. I've just always been me. I'm a one off. <laughs> <laughs> My dad said to me one time, oh, Susie, when they made you, they threw away the mold. And before I could t- say thank you, he said, thank goodness.
0: <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That's so lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Out of all the things that you've achieved, is there anything that you're most proud of?
1: Yeah. I think being known around the world for so many years and remaining normal and approachable, that's what I'm most proud of.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. And I know that you've got a bucket list. Is there anything that you're aiming to achieve this year?
1: Well, I mean, I want to see my album in the charts because I'm so proud of it, the new album. I'm Um, sure it will be. uh, I'm I'm working so much this year. I'm, I'm nonstop. I'm in Australia twice UK Arena Tour in April. I'd like a movie of my life to be done. A movie, not the documentary, which is coming out. A movie. I'd like to see somebody play me. That would be good. Be spooky.
0: Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Well, we've we've put it out in the universe. I'm sure the universe will listen. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, definitely. How do you keep motivated and on it?
1: You can only keep motivated if you love something. Mm. And I love what I do. And I still have so much to say.
0: Yeah, and what solid advice would you give to to young women out there who are finding things challenging or want to follow their dreams but unsure how to?
1: I would say make sure that you want to do this as a job because it's not an easy job. I would say always take yourself seriously because if you take yourself seriously other people will and if you're going to play an instrument don't pretend to play it, play it with your real
0: heart and soul and energy well, that's what you do you know you rock out right to the full and it's incredible to see and what's the best advice you've ever been given?
1: My dad he said this is your profession this is your job treat it as such always be a professional and when you go out there give all you've got those people have paid money to see you stuck in my heart my whole life yeah
0: Oh, that's wonderful. It was wonderful catching up with Susie Quattro. Let's listen to her new song, A Macho Man, from her album No Control. And by the way, if you want to buy her album or see her live in concert or find out anything else about her, head on over to our website, (laughs) susiequattro.com. Oh, no. Next up, rowing across the Atlantic might be daunting for most people, but not Susan Ronaldson. I chat to her about why she decided to take up this huge challenge and how it's changed her life. You were part of, of three for this team, status row. How did you overcome obstacles or keep your motivation high? Because at the end of the day, you surely must have at some point got on each other's nerves. <laughs>
2: um, I think we were very realistic about how difficult it was going to be um being together in a small space for for an amount of time I think some teams uh, or some friends have not survived the experience because I think they take it for granted that they're good friends or they're a good team so we um obviously spent a lot of time together we had the idea 18 months before the race started so we spent a lot of time planning fundraising doing our kind of all the sorts of training that you have to do so we spent a lot of time together and we kind of knew how we were as a team
0: what really inspired you to take on this challenge in the first place
2: it's a good question that i keep asking myself so i mean the, the kind of story of it is that um i met Caroline and jess on an indoor climbing course and we went uh, climbing for two years every wednesday night but were really rubbish at it (laughs) we never got really much better at it but we became really good friends and we would come up with like different challenges that we could do like swimming in the channel or doing a marathon across the Sahara and none of these things ever really kind of captured us and then Caroline saw a documentary on some women who rode the Pacific and came as like ocean rowing is a thing (laughs) and um, I had seen um, the Atlantic rowing race before I'd seen particularly some four moms from Yorkshire who had famously done it and it had kind of captured my imagination before but I'd never thought of myself doing it and suddenly someone saying should we do this I was instantly yes you know it's like that opportunity presented itself um and I can't really 100% put into words why but I think it was just the the challenge and the opportunity to do something completely different and something that's beyond your comprehension and I always kind of say to people like if you're thinking about a marathon or a long swim, you can kind of comprehend what that means because everyone's run a bit or everyone swam a bit um, and therefore it seems quite difficult. <laughs> but rowing across the whole ocean, you can't really 100% comprehend that and I think that's what sort of appeals about it because you're kind of putting yourself a bit into the unknown and you can't fully prepare yourself um, and that's just incredibly exciting. So definitely the, the challenge of it, doing something extraordinary, something out of the ordinary, um and then we were really clear that if we were going to do this big adventure we wanted to have some purpose for it so uh, we thought if we were rowing an ocean we wanted to promote saving an ocean so very much the kind of second objective of our kind of uh status row is to kind of promote um, the issue of plastic pollution and to support the marine conservation society Um, we kind of had this parallel between it it seems impossible to row an ocean but actually it's just a series of strokes of the oar, a series of small actions and while plastic pollution also seems kind of a big, impossible thing, again, it's just us all as individuals taking small actions to kind of use reusable cups, use a reusable bag, be careful about how we kind of recycle and dispose of, of, of the plastic we use.
0: I can see it really clearly, the two parallels. What do you think we as society should be pushing more to do to take those small steps? I mean, is it education? Is it is it programmes? What is it?
2: I think it's it's a lot of things, but um, one of the reasons we like this issue so much is because we felt, although we do need governments to do things, we do need business to do things, it's something that we can all do as individuals and we can kind of start tomorrow. So it's, you know, it is actually relatively easy to kind of change our habits. And I think we, we felt like educating people on that is important because um, I had a, a little bit of an idea about the, the problem of plastic pollution. But when we chose this issue, it's pre-Blue Planet, and I think I didn't really understand the kind of full extent and I had quite a bad plastic habit, to be honest, you know, I'd buy kind of water bottles and a lot of convenience food. Um, and it's only when you find out about the kind of extent, say eight million tons of plastic go into the oceans every every year. Um, and, you know, if we continue at this rate, there'll be more plastic in the oceans than fish by 2050. And you can imagine the impact um, on our environment but what we probably don't really know the extent of is how much impact it has on human beings uh, because if it's getting into the food chain if it's getting to the water supply what impact is going to have on us so uh, hopefully educating people of the scale of the problem the potential impact of the problem will get people really thinking about their own habits and as i said as individuals we can kind of start making a difference tomorrow
0: you spoke earlier about the training process how how grueling was it what did you have to do
2: as I said, the kind of training, uh, yeah, it was actually part, part physical, um, but when I kind of took on the challenge, yeah, I went climbing a bit every week, but I was really unfit. Um, and I kind of refer to this as being the kind of, if you heard of the couch to 5K, this was the couch to 3,000 miles for me. Um, hadn't we, None of us had rode before at all, but when we signed up to do the <laughs> challenge. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of time in the gym, uh, getting fit and getting strong in particular. Um, But then we had to do things like learning navigation and sea survival and first aid at sea and all those extra kind of skills that maybe people don't think about, um, as well as um, we were talking about earlier about the importance of teamwork and learning to work as a team. Um, But what I actually found in the reality of the challenge, but really it is about kind of the mental endurance of it. So we were rowing for 12 to 14 hours a day each um, and to... Obviously that sounds physical, but to every single day to kind of persevere through that, be in that kind of small confined space and have a really kind of fixed routine where you don't have any choice. You have to get up twice in the middle of the night to row for a few hours. You have to keep going hour after hour after hour. But day after day after day for 61 days to kind of keep yourself going. um, It's really kind of the mental challenge of like, how do you kind of keep yourself going in a difficult difficult environment and difficult circumstances
0: yeah i'm kind of in shock yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my face just then was like oh my god so you have to wake up twice in the night for 60 61 days no option not having the freedom and then you're in this in seven by two space
2: yeah so come kind of traditionally in ocean rowing uh, people do shifts of two hours so two hours on two hours off that doesn't quite work because we were a trio so what we would do in the 12 hours of daylight we were that way for to hours on and one, only one hour break. So sleep deprivation is a really big thing.
0: Do you think you'll take on any similar challenges in the future?
2: Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's kind of addictive. <laughs> um, there is something incredible about having a really kind of firm target and a really firm goal and a big challenge. Um, I found that throughout the 18 months preparation, it would make you push yourself further than you thought that you could go. Um, so you know, things like doing public speaking when you don't necessarily like public speaking I've like, never done kind of fundraising and we, we had to, you know, it costs £100,000 to do this so we had to do a lot of kind of fundraising both in companies and individuals obviously our own money as well um, and uh, yeah, organising events like a whole variety of different things uh, yeah, the rowing itself uh, that you never imagined that you would do and then you're doing it and uh, that is incredible like and um, it's you can do it because you have that ultimate goal and then at sea, um when you think that you you know you you can't do another shift or you can't take another day of it you can and you find that you can dig deeper and you have more resilience and more resources than you ever thought the i you know i think your question about we're doing another challenge i think having that in your life is really empowering and, and inspirational to yourself to kind of have that target that makes you not only do the 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 thing itself but everything that surrounds it but I'm not sure what (laughs) but
0: it's so exciting there's so many options now that you you know that you can do it and achieve more that's it and finally last question um it was just what did your friends and family say and your work colleagues I mean you said to me earlier that when you when you told someone you work with about this, they said it, it was a silly challenge. <laughs> what would you say to people who want to set themselves a challenge or, or want to do something exciting and new and they're scared? What would be your advice?
2: I would definitely go for it. Um, I think uh, one of the reasons why I think people reacted the way to kind of row in the Atlantic was not kind of, it seems like a really risky thing to do but actually it's only risky if you don't do it in the sensible right way so you have to really understand what you're taking on understand the risks and then you manage them and you manage them by doing the right training doing the right qualifications having the right equipment having the right kind of support and advice and we were kind of confident um that we had managed that kind of risk down to a kind of acceptable level I'm not saying it's risk free roaming across the ocean, but firstly, everyday life has its risks. You you kind of don't necessarily think about it when you step out of the door or you get in a car or whatever. Um, And when you do something like during the Atlantic, it is more obvious risk, but it's not necessarily higher risk. Um, And the other thing for us, I think, or for me personally, was there are different kinds of risks. So you can kind of sit at home. Um, protecting yourself all the time but are you really kind of getting the most out of life you know life for me is not about measured in days it's what you do with it and and the experience of it and to not have done this amazing thing would have been a bigger risk of you know happiness and fulfillment in life so um, definitely understand what you're doing and definitely do it in a kind of sensible managed way but don't fool yourself that the only risks in life are kind of safety and, and being safe because like making the most of life, living it to the full and doing things that inspire you and make you happy is, is, is what, I for me, it's all about.
0: I 100% agree with Susan there. Life really is about what you make it and live life to the full. Really inspiring stuff, talking to her. Next up, I chat to Frankie Anushka from Project Pleasure, two women who set up a radio show talking about sex and why we need to talk about it. Well, basically, both of you really inspired me because you've created this radio show to openly discussing sex. And that's something that we as a society still feel a bit embarrassed to talk about. Mm. But also, you're both young women. And I feel it's really empowering because... You're you bringing back the power for women to 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 be, you know, have that control in the bedroom. Mm. Because I feel a lot of the time, guys feel like they have the power, when actually mm-hmm. it's like, oh no, actually, women are the ones that mainly decide if you're going to get laid or not. <laughs>
3: so um, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> so
0: yeah, what inspired you both to set up Project Pleasure? Ooh, <sighs> I
3: think we come for we've come at it from very different places. Like I definitely have had a sheltered, old school way of thinking. Um, and upbringing around sex. I didn't have any sex education at home or at school. I definitely believed that I was, not that like I said this in my head, but looking back, I definitely presented myself as an object, um, like a sexual object, not that I had any, not not control, but I had nothing to gain out of it apart from attention and, and being wanted. And I believe that that was genuinely a woman's role in the bedroom. And it's taken a long time for me to get to a place where I realise like, no, I have, not only do I have something to say about it, but I also (laughs) really enjoy my experience and what Mm. I gain out of it, which isn't just attention. It's a close bond, it's an orgasm, it's um, a bond really. And I think, yeah, so it was a really selfish place to come, like to start this, uh, to start Project Pleasure with Anushka and, um, and educate myself really in a lot of the, A lot of what goes on and how I consume sex like how I watch porn how I you know use vibrators or sex toys and how I engage with partners like you get so many images thrown at you so many narratives thrown at you and you're I'm if it wasn't for this podcast I wouldn't be breaking those down and assessing you know do I like that why am I why Hmm. am I getting off on this why do I feel the need to do that you know that time where you like have sex and you feel crap about yourself why do i feel that way why did i have sex then you know so um project pleasure was kind of like me trying to break all of that uh, down and and just start having a better sex life and relationship with myself for sure Mm.
4: Yeah, it's funny because we, we do literally have the exact opposite like- experiences on absolutely everything. But I think that's why we work, because it, mm. I, and I think that's why it was so important to us to make it really clear in all of our episodes just how different our opinions and our experiences actually are because it's kind of like... Hopefully, each of our listeners will be able to find themselves and their experiences somewhere along the spectrum between me and Frankie. Um, We are poles. We are anything. Ask us (laughs) anything, and we will have the opposite opinion. Um, But like, but my, you know, my upbringing was completely the opposite in terms of. So my dad's a doctor. So like, bodies were always very normal. We've got kind of fake silicone boobs sitting around the house, just you know, just in the kitchen. Like bodies are just so normal. My mum is like super, super open about sex and it was just never it was never like a big deal but it was just regular so like when I um, I think I said something that when I was about 15 uh, when I came off the phone with my then boyfriend, and it sparked something in my mum's head that she was like, Does that, Have you been talking about having sex, or is that is that something you're thinking about? And I was like, Oh, yeah, well, yeah, we are actually. And she was like, Cool, okay, so let's just go to the GP and we'll like get you on the pill and talk about contraception and stuff. Like, it was all just so regular, and I never got this like hysteria around sex, and so I think when I then maybe went out into the wider world and realised there were people, maybe like Frankie, who did who didn't have that those kind of conversations and didn't feel as kind of safe and, you know, comforted about stuff. Um, my my impetus for doing this was very much like I it really makes me sad that other people don't feel as comfortable about it as I do and what can I do to it's almost like I mean certainly when we when we started project pleasure there was a little bit of us that was like why us like we don't necessarily have any background we're not sexologists you know whatever but actually the fact that we feel comfortable talking about it kind of is a responsibility mm, because mm. and and that's what's so great about audio is that we can talk in that one person's ears and they can kind of take on those conversations in their own time, they can process those things in their own time, they can, you know, they don't have to talk about it themselves yet but they can hear us talking about yeah. it and hopefully that will make them feel safer.
3: Yeah, I think definitely for me as well, like sometimes I forget that we're in a bubble, we've created this space uh, that we can openly and safely talk about sex and not feel like persecuted or shamed and I, I, I never want to take that for granted but I forget that other people don't have that and so like we're we're at a funny place right now where people message us online or or they come up to us at house party like i listen listen to your podcast (laughs) i have this question and i'm like i am not an expert ma'am but um yeah and it's just like i mean why us but it's also about encouraging those conversations and i think project pleasure just felt like the best way to encourage that in other people yeah for sure
0: yeah i mean what you said spoken about that intimate conversation Mm. that you can have that element Mm. with the podcast as well but I'm going to be honest I mean I side with Frankie here I think Mm. most of the UK they don't have a proper sex education it's swept under the carpet and Mm. it's nice to hear that you've had a refreshing conversation with your parents Mm. I mean with regards to sex education is, is there something that we can improve in our schools would you think it'd be more comfortable if we had outside expert come in and talk about it or be shown a video or I don't know what kind of things do you think should be done
3: I think like a human connection is really important, but I don't know if I would have been comfortable at fourteen, fifteen. My teacher like opening up so much, and also I feel like teachers have enough work to do. But yeah. there are people that are amazing at these conversations, such as Brooke. Um, who else? I'm trying to think. Yeah, so there are sexual health charities. Yeah. It's stuff like
4: that. I think it, I think you're right that it is about getting outside people yeah. in because a because teachers don't have the time um, anyway, and and yeah, kids aren't gonna take it on board from someone who they're also you know learning about. Yeah pythagoras theorem from you know they're not <laughs> yeah. as i said that was like i don't even remember what that is but <laughs> I, I think i think it's a that yeah, from. squared, uh, yeah. C squared. Yeah. So, there you go there you go um, um I, I think there are also just you know little things like i remember that we were separated as girls and boys yeah. and i uh, yes we go through different especially around puberty and things obviously we're going to experience different things but you know boys need to know about periods as much as girls need to know about periods and And, you know I, i i think the one thing that maybe i didn't have that i have spoken about before on project pleasure is the idea that when i went into my first sexual encounter because i didn't know what it was like as a straight woman from the boys side of things it actually didn't feel as connected and as an experience as it should have been because i'm kind of like well i know what I should be doing and should be having, but actually, I don't know what that feels like for them, and so mm. I don't know how to relay that information. Yeah. So I, I like I don't agree with separating gender no, at all. and also
3: not making inclusive for everyone. Mm. I think if you're not cis or straight and you go into sex education and that's all you're taught, you are then just isolated immediately. And what you're going to do? You're going to turn to online you're going to turn to porn and that just feeds and i think there's nothing wrong with porn like and and watching porn we've all well i've been there mm-hmm. um, <laughs> i don't want <laughs> to like throw any judgment <laughs> but i've been there and like it gets to a point where people are learning things from porn and like teenagers just you know they're gonna find this stuff they're gonna soak it in and and they can learn some really unhealthy habits uh really have really unhealthy relationships with their bodies and that's not right and also like there's nothing wrong with not being in a heterosexual mm. cis relationship in fact it's amazing and we should be celebrating that and bringing that into classrooms
4: and and i think i think a lot of people are worried that like if you teach something that means you're actively going to make it happen you know that's a lot of why section 28 was such a big deal is that you know they want to ban people from talking about it because then they think it's not going to happen that young boy or whatever is not going to not be gay because you haven't spoken about it. All that's going to happen is that they're going to be left in a far more dangerous and vulnerable position. Um, And it's something we talked about before is the fact that when we're talking about um, potential coercive behaviour within relationships, it's always, and this is problematic in itself, that the guy in the situation is probably going to be the one forcing a woman or a girl to do something or whatever. But actually, where does that leave two girls in a relationship Mm. if a young girl doesn't know that another girl can be coercive you know and and display those behaviors she is left in a really vulnerable position so it's about you know actually not gendering things like that and just seeing things as human traits rather than this is what happens in a heterosexual relationship Mm. and we're just not going to talk about how that might manifest in any other kind of relationship Mm. it's really dangerous no definitely i think i feel like we need to have a, a more
0: thorough understanding of what each and every person, like, ha- happens with their bodies. I mean, with menopause as well, a lot of mm. men don't understand what happens with menopause and, yeah. and what's happening with their partners. And yeah. I think if they had a more thorough understanding, then they'd be able to actually help them in mm, their relationship yeah. and it would benefit their relationship. That's
3: actually one of my fears. Um, I don't know anything about menopause, but I mm. know that, I mean, when my mum started going for it, like... I'd never even thought about it or had the conversation, mm. and that is where my body will end up. And like, wish someone would talk to me about it. And it was only when I started mentioning it to my friends, they were like, "Oh yeah, my mum went through that." And I was like, "Why have we not discussed this?" And and it does change your relationships and stuff. So yeah, we should all be talking about it. It should be part of sex ed- education, as in like, you're gonna start your period, you're gonna have, you're gonna have a, you might choose to have a child, and then your 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 body will go through menopause.
4: And there's also something really sinister about. What things like that get talked about or not? So there was something going around recently that I think Facebook have, have banned menopause adverts, but are perfectly fine with erectile dysfunction, <laughs> and it's and great. Yeah, erectile dysfunction. Absolutely, is it's a it's a thing that we need to talk about and need to be aware of, but not you know you can't also sideline menopause and when yeah. that's something that absolutely yeah. every female body person will go through mm. and not everyone will go through erectile dysfunction or you know at school why are we not teaching about the menopause when we are teaching about masturbation for boys you know which is something that they could choose to do on you know what i mean like yeah. we do need to be talking about all these totally. things but why are we missing out something that things that are definitely going to be happening to people you know yeah
3: Totally. I yeah. feel like I see erectile dysfunction adverts on, like, tubes and on buses a lot as well mm. now. Like, we've, and it, and uh, it's we've opened the lid off that and and we don't have the same experience for women. Like, we don't talk about lack of libido or loss of libido mm. for women when they want to change that, yeah. do you know what I mean?
4: Yeah, and and in saying that, we're not, you know, we're not saying to take those things away from men by any means. No. Because they are, you know, very serious mental issues that could Mm -hmm. be going on there of course and we need to be supporting people but we also need to be having the same equal conversations for women and being because it's basically saying that men have to be allowed pleasure because you know if you if your if your penis can't work we need to fix that immediately because you can't possibly be a man if you if you can't get your penis up but you know we're not talking about the same things in yeah. terms of female pleasure it's that narrative that's fed constantly that women don't
3: gain pleasure out of sex and that's not what it is. and it's also there's a problem there with calling like penetrative sex but also sex don't have a right sex. to sex mm. exactly okay, you know, right to pleasure yeah. because i feel like one thing i've really gained from the podcast is is realizing that penetrative sex isn't Sex, it's a part of it, and there's so much more, and it's kind of feeding into how we feel about role play. Uh, role play, <laughs> role play, role plays <laughs> on my mind, guys. Exactly, Ooh, mama. Fore, uh, foreplay, like we treat it like it's a starter to a main course. Yeah. We treat it like it's an entrance to the the thing that will get a Attraction theme mm. park, uh yeah, and it's all about the end goal being this, uh, this, you know, orgasm for a man or or even like I feel like at the moment because people have started to talk about that mm. um, female orgasm is something to get out of the way so you know m- so that men
4: can take it off be yeah like, well, and, and I did that for and they
3: feel like they have validation and be like oh I'm such a good lover I'm such a good oh such a man <laughs> and it's all about like this you know making men feel comfortable making men feel needed valid and we don't have that for women in the bedroom
0: but how can we address this i mean i feel that you're already doing this empowering women to to embrace their sexuality and be more confident in the bedroom but how can we change the stigma for uh, for thousands of women out there or even millions who feel that they are they are the, the passive one in the bedroom just keep talking about it i feel like project
3: pleasure like the more we put it out there the more we talk about it the more people feel like they can talk to us they can then they have that knowledge to pass on to their friends it's about that sometimes it's just word of mouth and it is changing education you know if it's not changing in schools which is completely unfortunate and you can change it in your home and i think that's really important this one thing i really wish i had like is conversation at home because maybe I wouldn't have been comfortable at school but if I feel like it maybe been normalized at home and there was no shame around it maybe I'd have a different attitude being like they're not teaching that at school but you know and like start saying to my 16 year old friends like blah 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 this blah 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 that because I had a big mouth so <laughs>
4: <laughs> and, I th- and I think people in the in the media have a big role to play as well in terms mm, totally. of um I was what was I thinking about the other day that even just the way again it's tiny little things that eat on their own you don't think are a big deal but it all adds up to what young women especially kind of see as their role in sex so things like you know you'll get so many articles that are like if you go on top then you know he'll get a great view yeah. and sorry what five great positions for right, him right what, eight what article the is best sitting there job? saying when yeah. you know when he's on so. top being like oh you know whip your head back so that she gets a great view like no one is saying that yeah, so it's yeah. like women are always being told to be the performing mm. ones yeah. so I just think you know, in all those articles, you know, and I get that they have to be a bit clickbaity, and you know, that's the world we mm-hmm. live in. But I think there is a responsibility to not just go for the lazy option, almost of, of rehashing these old tropes that just yeah. aren't helpful.
3: And also, I would say, like porn, I think there needs yeah. to be like a big clamp down it. on porn, but like making it like, as I like to call it, organic porn, like, but ethical, you know, mm. and and I. I'm. I feel like this is like maybe a controversial thing, but we had a guest on that talks about you know parents buying their you know teenage daughters their first vibrator. But mm. even I would go as far as to say buying your teenager, um, uh, what's the word? Porn subscriptions. Porn subscriptions. Because then to
4: ethical they're science, gonna
3: watch porn. Science. You can't. I literally, and I'm not trying to discourage anyone from watching it, but then you know that it's safe and you know that it's you know. Has healthier messages
0: than just something you're gonna find on a tube site, for well, sure. Well, exactly what you were saying before about you know it's this unrealistic views of your own totally, body and totally. you know relationships as well. Yeah. yeah, and so you were saying before about how you'd feel if your if your parents bought you something when you were, you were yeah. sixteen or something. How do you, your family members respond to the podcast now?
3: Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> my family, I won't lie, my family doesn't listen, and I I've. I've They've listened to some and I can under- They've had enough now. Though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have they can listen to some and I if I find it funny how they react some of them like um are uncomfortable with me talking about it and I completely understand why and it has led me to some conversations where I, I'm uncomfortable but I know it's important to to say because I still care about their pleasure well-being even though they might be my grandparents or my mum or my sister and me and my sister have a way more open relationship now and I love that and and I wouldn't change that for anything but yes some people in my family find it hard some and sometimes they'll tune into a you know episode about the like the female body and my grandpa will say the word hymen about 50 times <laughs> you know my dad's like has like given it to women around that he's probably the best one <laughs> my yeah. dad's pre- probably the best one and he gives it to women in his office and he sends me articles and tells me to read bitch mag um, no, my God! yeah he lives in the us it might be a us uh, thing but um yeah like things like it it depends on the topic and i do feel like some of the episodes have kind of t- triggered some things to, for them and and that's hard that is hard but you know I I, le- I I
0: kind of sometimes give him a bit of a warning so um do do you both see sex as as, as making love or a, a purely pleasurable experience
4: um i don't do we have different views on this i think no I, I think it depends who you're I, with and your
3: mood like i really mm-hmm. feel like i've i feel like i've made love if you're go you know i feel like it's been a very emotional central cry during thing and I've definitely just had sex with someone because I just want pleasure in that moment um yeah I really feel like it depends on not even just the person but my mood mm. so
4: yeah no I think I've always. Um, we've actually recently recorded an episode in which I talk about the fact that if I haven't slept with someone by the second date, then it's never going to happen because it's either I'm so all or nothing that yeah, I really? know immediately yeah. that I'm really attracted to you and when, in which case, why are we wasting time? Let's go. <laughs> Or, or it's just like it, the spark isn't there; it's not going to happen. Um, I also just, I just
3: fancy people, and I want to sleep with yeah, them. Yeah, I think I you have fancy more, just like people. you're just kind of like anyone,
5: anyone. But I almost I I will just sleep. Really, no, I, I will. no, no, awesome. so oh, that I'm sounds
4: that sounds bad. I mean that in that I'm actually quite jealous because I think I do need more of a connection, and hmm. sometimes that does annoy me. Like sometimes I'm like, I am going through a drought. I just want to have sex with someone, but I also know that I am completely incapable of having sex without having. So not not even like oh this might be my husband but just some sort of banter yeah just yeah. something and actually I think even, <laughs> even though I come from a place of thinking that I feel very comfortable with sex one of the things that I maybe have talked through with myself through doing Project Pleasure is that there is a different I do need some sort of emotional connection with someone but it's more actually about feeling respected so even if it's like you don't even have to know my name but i know that you're not treating me like an object in the moment Mm. it's still like i still want in that moment for us to be in it together and for us to be appreciative of each other as humans Mm. not as as objects
3: i feel like when i was younger i probably slept with like a few people in like a to not to prove something but in like wanting their attention Mm. and i didn't mind so much like I definitely was more treated like an object, and I kind of felt that's just the role, and that's just how it went. Now I'd say like I um so this sounds bad, but like I just love passion, just like lo- I love a good snog, I love a good dry hump. Like I just want that like mm. all of the time. It's awful. So like if I meet someone and I it's get not on awful, with it's them, great. <laughs> it's like, if I meet someone and I just like there's a spark, I'm just like oh yeah, only live once, come <laughs> in. But also like that's led me to some really great relationships, like. Yeah. T- the, the two long term relationships I've been in is literally just like fancy a shag? Cool. And then like a year later then we'll be like we've been doing this a year someone should say something. Um, do you know what I mean? And there's like no pressure and I think my relationship grew really beautifully like that but I do think that one of the reasons I may be like a bit more like that you have great male relationships and great mm. male friendships but I don't and that's kind of how I establish my relationships with men yeah. which is a whole thing in itself yeah. but, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm kind of it. like unpacking yeah. it as it goes but like men aren't weren't my friends they are. They, they were there for a reason <laughs>
2: for a function yeah. they were there for a function well you're
0: interesting in um, talking about second dates would you mm. always say give yourself a second date ben- benchmark because Every woman probably has a different benchmark. Mine's probably the fourth date because right, okay. just four is my favourite oh number. My, yeah, <laughs> I yeah, know, but fine. that's quite
4: a long time to wait. Let's just put a, yeah. Is it. Yeah, could it
3: be like because that four dates could be a month? Yeah. Well,
4: because and I think for me the other thing is that actually in a relationship or you know whether that's a relationship or just whatever it is, sex is very important to me. And so as you know, as much as you go on dates to obviously see if your personalities match and if you've got banter if you haven't you're not going to go on the next date and I almost see sex as the same thing like Frankie always likes to say try before you buy and try it's b- I never true. get to the like, date to be honest like <laughs> <laughs> that it's it's kind of I see it as the same. Like yeah, okay, we might be connecting on an emotional and personality level, whatever. But actually, if fifty percent of that relationship is never going to work because we're not sexually compatible, I need to know now. So, what's the future for Project Pleasure? Are you hoping to do more intervention
0: oh, programs oh. in schools? Write a book? What's? Oh gosh! Wow, I've, I've got, got big um, plans. Yeah, all of the above.
4: We. So we've done a couple of live events recently that have gone very well. (laughs) I'm saying that like, I'm quite surprised at our success. Obviously they're great because it's us. Um, But we've we've kind of hit upon this kind of sweet spot where we're doing like quizzes and game shows. So it's like a super fun night out. But then people are coming away like, I genuinely didn't know the answer to that question. That is crazy. So it's like, Insidious sex ed, but what while having a cocktail and that's having so great. fun? Yeah. So, yeah, so that kind of feels Sexy like that's pub
3: quiz. Yeah, Cause cause so if anyone wants to pay quiz. us to
4: tour that, yeah, <laughs> that would be sick. so. If
3: anyone's l- just like yeah. looking for money, rolling um, around. yeah, so we thought what well, was really British quizzes, pub yeah. quizzes, what isn't British? Talking about sex. sex, but also, yeah,
0: yeah merge the two together. I mean, you could have like a who can put a condom on the cucumber the quickest. Oh, oh we did. That. Oh, oh, we, God, we did. That was yeah. a tiebreaker that yeah.
3: one, and it's all quickly. We're very quick, yeah, but you know? it is. It's
4: just, it's just the fact that, like, you know, we put people in teams, and in order to discuss what the answer to our question would be, they have to discuss sex. So, like, they don't, it's not like we sat there and said, Tell us about your sex life, but by the by, yeah. they are talking Talk about us. it. And then hopefully by the end, they're like, Oh, and okay, I've actually felt quite comfortable doing that. Fine, just you know?
3: having yeah. a really nice time, having cocktails, like you said, yeah, like very important. giving out sweets at points, and, and also getting really, really lush and amazing sex toy prizes
4: and yeah it's nice to work lube. with some brands and kind of yeah. you know get them out there as prizes and, and... also so
3: nice to see the people that listen to the podcast yeah 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 because yeah. like, we never in see real them. life yeah. those
4: girls really crack
0: me up but seriously though i think they are changing the way we talk about sex and think about sex which i think is groundbreaking thank you to my fantastic guests on episode one of this podcast let's go kick ass today see you next time for more inspiration Don't forget to subscribe and keep kicking ass.